Welcome to today's podcast. Today we'll be reading from the book Daily Reflections. I'm Fernando, alcoholic. Let's go ahead and open this podcast meeting with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Let's go ahead and do the we version of this, since the first step is that we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. After a moment of silence. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. We, we, friends. Daily Reflections, July 8th. The seventh step is where we make the change in our attitude, which permits us with humility as our guide to move out from ourselves towards others and towards God. 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 76. When I finally ask God to remove these things blocking me from Him and the sunlight of the Spirit, I embark on a journey more glorious than I ever imagined. I experienced a freedom from those characteristics that had me wrapped up in myself. Because of this humbling step, I feel clean. I am especially aware of this step because I am now able to be useful to God and to my fellows. I know that He has granted me strength to do His bidding and has prepared me for anyone and anything to do His bidding and has prepared me for anyone and anything that comes my way today. I am truly in his hands, and I give thanks for the joy that I can be useful today. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray the seven-step prayer, please. My creator, I am now willing that he should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me the strength as I go off from here to do your bidding. Amen and amen. <clears throat> Today, I'm going to be reading you an article from, uh, in addition to this, January 2003, How It Works at Work. Tales of a New Year's Eve party. Something very strange was going on. <laughs> Grapevine. This one comes to us from Livermore, California, which is really close to my in-laws of Northern California. Something very strange was going on. <clears throat> I've been to meetings in Livermore. Here we go. December 31st, 1988. I was coming up on 12 years to sobriety and was invited to a New Year's party. Party. Some long-term friends of my family I went to high school with their children hosted it. The guest list was mostly professors, scientists, engineers, mathematicians, and various PhDs types. Nearly everyone brought a bottle of something as a gift for the host. There was champagne, wine, various liquors, including a half gallon of an exquisite scotch. Even though I had been sober several years, I still watched how people drank. The way they obviously normal social drinkers drank was amazing. 
A typical drinker will go to the kitchen, carefully measure a shot of booze, mix it with ice and mixers, then take the drink on a, and a coaster with him back to his conversation. Once there, he will sip off about one-sixteenth of an inch of the drink, set it down on the coffee table on the coaster, and then forget about it. He would then continue the conversation with his companion, leaving the drink sitting there on the table until the ice melted. At some point, he would notice the drink and say something like, Oops, my drink is ruined. Let me go pour it out and make myself another one, which he would then proceed to do. I watched several people do essentially the same thing. I saw people say really strange things like, Oh no, no more for me. Thanks, I'm starting to feel it now. I think the most I saw anyone drink that night was one man who actually drank two five-ounce glasses of wine in three or four hours. When the midnight toast was offered, the majority of the guests took sparkling cider, not champagne. I saw this with my own eyes after years of sobriety, and it still makes little sense to me. The kicker to all this happened the next morning. I stayed the night, and when I came downstairs the next morning, I saw the half gallon of that exquisite scotch. The seal was broken, and the neck was empty. Perhaps two shots had been poured out of it. I had a flash of awareness on seeing that. I knew that I would have done had I still been drinking. That bottle of scotch and probably of as many other bottles as I could steal would have landed in a bush outside the house and then gone home with me when I left. Yet there sat an entire collection of bottles from the night before, many of them unopened, just sitting on the counter. Mid-June 2002, I went over to the same friend's house, and there, on a shelf in the garage, sat a half gallon of that same scotch, covered with dust. The level of booze in the bottle was the same as I remembered it. They probably never even touched the bottle since pouring putting it away after the New Year's party 14 and a half years ago. If I ever needed a reminder about how differently I think about booze than social drinkers, I just think about my friend and their bottle of scotch. I have remembered it for many years. They have probably forgotten and still have it. <laughs> Key them from Livermore, California. Isn't that amazing? Wow. All right, let's go ahead and make do one more. Okay, okay. Into the fellowship, one step at a time. Step one. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. In my home group, we made a, a group conscious decision that whenever anyone new showed up, or return, we would focus on that person, and the topic would be the first step. The first step, as described in the big book, asked me to admit and accept that I am an alcoholic to my innermost self. That was not easy for me to do. My life, since I was a child, was geared at running the show according to Larry. I was a director, I was a stage manager, I was a prop guy, I was always the one in charge. There was no room for debate. I had the last word. I knew everything about everything, and it was my job to let everyone know this. 
No one could penetrate the defense that I carefully constructed ever since I left my mother's body. I knew that the world was unfriendly and even hostile. That the first drunk, not the first drink, convinced me that I was Superman, bulletproof, and someone everyone should know and admire. I was above the law, moral behavior, and people. I changed that first drink, magic, into the gates of hell. Though failed relationships, jails, blackouts, seizures, job losses, moved from one city to another city, to another state, car crashes, emergency rooms, violence, and rage. My only emotions were rage and sullen silence. I crashed and burned in a blackout. I called Alcoholic Anonymous one early morning after the barns were closed. I had run out of alcohol again, and I was desperate not to drink again. Someone came over to my empty apartment, picked me up, fed me, and cleaned me up. Then he took me to a meeting of Alcoholic Anonymous. He asked me no questions. He just listened as I tried to explain how and why my apartment was destroyed. He just nodded. He didn't judge me. He didn't preach. He just nodded. He took me to meetings for what seemed a long time. He never told me his full name. He introduced me to a man he called his sponsor. I was asked if I wanted to be sober. I mumble, yes. I was not talking coherently at that time. I was asked if I believed in anything. I mumble, yes. I was asked what I believed in. I answered, a drink. They all laugh, not at me, with me. They understood. That was my first step into alcoholic anonymous. Laughter was foreign to me at that time. Now I can laugh from the bottom of my toes to the top of my skull. The steps follow one another, 1 through 12. There are also 12 traditions. There are also 12 concepts of service. But the first step means I don't take the first drink, no matter what. And there have been times when it seemed absolutely necessary to take the first drink. I'm an alcoholic. My body craves alcohol. It aches for alcohol, and my body is allergic to it. That's the baffling part of my disease. My mind tells me to take a drink. I always did. Always. So, meetings took the place of the bar. Then meetings took the place of my family. Then meetings took the place of my car. Then meetings took the place of my, of my way. Then meetings took the place of my will. Then meetings took the place of my sponsor. Then meetings took the place of my disease. Then meetings, uh, am I to live as the hole in the donut? Am I co-signed co to live in darkness and black and white? It turned out that the answer was no. Color returned. Balance arrived in areas of my life. By surprise, without my permission, love filtered in a bit at a time. Until that hole inside my empty so long was filled. Until that hole inside me, empty, so long was filled with joy, kindness, caring, passion, and the promises started coming true in my life.
I'm an alcoholic. I am powerless over alcohol. That's my truth today. And it's all right with me. Thank you, Larry L. from Cordu de Elin, Idaho. Thank you very much. God bless you. Let's go ahead and pray out with the Our Father. What a beautiful story. That's my life, too, right there and then. Every once in a while, we run into a story that really pops the uh, popcorn, and that did it for us, folks. God of our understanding is feeding us with good information to stay sober for the day, one day at a time. Don't drink. Go to meetings. Call your sponsor. Appreciate things around us. I appreciate you. Let's pray with the Our Father, please, again. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family. Stay.